Inside Vegas is presented by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Inside Vegas podcast, as well as the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Use promo code SGP50 to receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Inside Vegas is also brought to you by OddShark. OddShark has the latest betting trends available nowhere else, as well as betting picks from their supercomputer. Check out all of their quality content and betting trends at OddShark.com. Welcome into yet another edition of the Inside Vegas podcast. And for this one, we're going to be continuing along with our niche market explorations and kind of exploring all things of markets that you may not know could be so profitable. Um, And as we've been searching with uh, different uh, UFC markets, uh, tennis markets, uh, the next kind of logical uh, progression in this was to would to be to explore the golf market. Um, And we're going to talk with somebody that I've been meaning to talk with for a very long time. I've been a huge fan uh, of his work, and that is Brady Cannon. And Brady Cannon is one of the most well-known people in Las Vegas for a variety of reasons. Um, Amongst them, he's a former Super Contest champion, um, and he's one of the kind of the one of the best golf minds really in the industry. You can find him all over the place with any Las Vegas uh, kind of handicapping uh, shows or, or anything like that. He's made various appearances uh, with Gil Alexander on those podcasts, as well as being a regular on uh, the VEASAN uh, network, uh, run out of the South Point of Las Vegas. Um, so without further ado, I don't want to kind of keep him waiting it by any stretch of the imagination because I have so much that I want to break into and, and talk to uh, with him. Um, so Brady, welcome on. Thank you so much for taking the time to do it. Uh, thanks for having me, Christian. It's a pleasure. So uh, to kind of get, break into kind of what, you know, everything that's going on in your life and in all things golf, uh, before we kind of break into the golf handicapping market and kind of everything uh, that you are known for um, that I want to get out to people uh, as best that I, I hope that I can, um, what's kind of going on uh, in your life these days? Um, of course, Brady Kinn of Tea Times USA, which can be found on teatimesusa.com um, and the Tea Time Company. So tell me again, everything going on with you and kind of uh, what's going on in your day-to-day life uh, a fellow Las Vegas uh, resident with me, I'm betting all things sports and kind of your side ventures. Well, uh, it's been a very busy couple of months uh, because of the basic two, two or three things that I do. Uh, I started with VEASAN in February and doing that a couple, three times a week and, and writing for their publication, uh, Point Spread Weekly, doing a golf column for them every week. And then I do another golf column for a number of other websites, Sportsbook Review, Covers, uh, Wager Talk, Against the Number. So so you've got all that going on. And then at the same time, my tea time business, which is my, my number one job, uh, In the month of March, March is probably the busiest month of the entire year for people coming to Las Vegas to play golf with all of the basketball and the NASCAR and all the conventions, everything that's going on in March and now bleeding into April as well. uh, It's really the springtime is uh, the busiest stretch of the entire calendar for golf. So not only am I dealing with the PGA Tour and the Masters and all that other stuff from a handicapping side of things, I'm also dealing with making tee times for people. So I've uh, been under a bunker working quite hard for about three months now. 
And that's the thing, right? People people think that you know handicapping and, and creating uh, sports gambling content. And while it is the best job in the world, in my opinion, I don't you know being your own boss and, and everything. And I know that you kind of pull double duty with being your own boss, having your own uh, business, but it's challenging and it's challenging to find the time. And, you know, especially with, if you have a home life or, or, you know, if you hope to have any semblance of a personal life uh, while handicapping, especially while handicapping professionally, um, you know, Las Vegas is truly the home of the hustler. It really is. And, and you got to kind of be willing to go all in with so many different things. But um, again, you, you've been kind of you know, such a well-known uh, Las Vegas content provider for so long and so many outlets during golf that I just thought that you were the absolute perfect person for this. Um, so I, I, I want to break into this kind of a as quickly as I can because I think that there's so much to talk about uh, in terms of the golf market. Um, so let's just kind of start off with, um, I would say, not say necessarily your style, but more your philosophy on, do you attack things more from a futures perspective for each um, event? Do you attack them from a matchup head-to-head perspective, from a group perspective? Or what is kind of, you know, the, uh, the ground level number one thing that you think um, better, new bettors are new bettors that are getting into this market should know? Well, you know what, Christian, uh, it, it started a long time ago for me. Um, I, I've been in the golf business here in Las Vegas for over 20 years. And uh, one of the first things I did from a gambling standpoint with golf was just to get into like some fantasy pools and, you know, picking picking a golfer for each tournament each week, uh, before the season started. And, uh, you know, whoever had the most points at the end of the year points were determined by how much money your golfer made each particular week, uh, won the contest. And I actually did really well in that contest and I had a good time, but that kind of led into, you know, the actual casino betting uh, on golf, but that contest really kind of gave me a foundation for how I now handicap golf. And that content or that contest was all about horses for courses. When you're picking, you know, you've got 30, 40 tour events from January to September. And before the season starts, you're trying to plug in a golfer for each event. You have to, and trying to maximize your dollar uh, for each event. You have to, first of all, figure out who's going to be good at a particular event. And second of all, who do you figure is going to show up at a particular event? Because you, you know, Tiger's not going to play in, uh, you know, the, the, the Houston open or, or whatever it is the the travelers champion, you know, some minor tour event. So you had to figure out who was going to be at those events. And then, like I say, also horses for courses and look at who traditionally does well, uh, at these particular venues year in and year out. And, I've kind of taken that knowledge that I was able to gain in my career in golf and watching the PGA Tour and and studying who does well at particular courses. I've taken that over now into the handicapping side of golf and and the the betting on golf, uh, not just from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, So, you know, again, the foundation for me is what skill sets or what horses are going to work for what courses. And so each week when I go in, I'll take a look at uh, the venue that we have on tap. And in this week, uh, we have uh, Hilton Head, you know, Harbor Town. Uh, so you dive into that golf course and look at what makes sense uh, for that golf course as, who, as far as, you know, what skill sets have been successful there over the years. And then match that with the golfers that are good in those areas. So that that's kind of my starting point uh, for how I dive into handicapping a golf tournament week in and week out. And, and 
I've always, uh, well, I initially, uh, and still to this day, I focus primarily on the head to head matchups, but I have gotten a little bit more into the futures market, much more on a recreational basis, just casually throwing a couple bucks on some guys to win the whole thing. But, you know, sometimes you can find, uh, a nice little diamond in the rough where, you know, you're finding 60 to one on a guy when everywhere else has got him at 30 to one, you know, that that's the type of thing as far as a futures market where, uh, you can extract some value and, but you know, you still have to hope to get lucky. And, and you also take into account all those other things, uh, as far as the horses for courses, handicap stuff that I do that I'm doing with matchups. So like I say, it's kind of started on a fantasy level, uh, and then got into the, the head-to-head matchups and now uh, just starting to dabble in the futures market a little bit, uh, more so for the majors and uh, just a little bit on the week-to-week stuff. It's so interesting because one thing that's developing when we get into these niche markets, a lot of these are kind of one person versus one person. And instead of um, you know, obviously a team versus a team. And one thing that's developing is, you know, with the UFC, the theme is styles will always make fights. And with tennis, it was um, almost the same exact thing is who plays well on certain um, surfaces and different types of courts. And to hear that, you know, you as, as successful as you've been as a golf handicapper, look at it the same way. It, it's, you know, it's very interesting that the underlining theme when it becomes, you know, a single person handicap is that, you know, it's always... It's it's all about style and how one t- particular type of person does on one particular type of surface or core or, you know, stylistically. Um, so that's one thing that that's kind of come out of this, which is, I think is, is absolutely awesome to take a look at when you kind of break down things from a person versus person standpoint, instead of a, a team versus a team. Um, and now you said that uh, you've kind of focused on that and you started in the fantasy realm and, and that's kind of where I started as well. Um, being, you know, into uh, football uh, DFS, I translated that over into the prop market, um, which was kind of how I got my start full-time betting um, sports in Las Vegas. Um, so I wanted to ask you kind of, you know, you said the the fantasy aspect of it. Um, there's a lot of people um, that, you know, play DFS uh, golf, you know, semi-professionally, if not professionally. Now I know you have the same problem I do that uh, DraftKings and a lot of these daily fantasy sites are, are not allowed um, in Nevada. Um, and again, of course, there's, there's some ways around that, um, be it a VPN or, you know, having somewhere place, somebody place something somewhere else. Um, but have you kind of, um, now that you've evolved, have you ever, were you ever, you know, into the fantasy aspect in the next level? Or did you kind of just go in your, um, you know, making you evolve as a handicapper from fantasy into um, more matchup driven stuff? Or have you kind of incorporated the fantasy aspect because it's it's so, especially to the recreational guys, I mean, masters or the majors um, kind of daily fantasy realm has become so big. Yeah, the daily fantasy stuff was really fun. And I, I was just getting into it and really having a good time with it before they pulled the plug here in Nevada. Um, and I was pretty much, you know, I, I may have done maybe six tournaments or five tournaments uh, the one that I got most involved with was the PGA championship, uh, when Jason day won at, uh, whistling straights, I believe it was. And I did really well in that one. I finished like in the top 125 people. I, I don't know how many people were in it, a million or whatever it was, but I did really well. And, uh, and then, you know, they, they quit, uh, allowing it in Nevada. So I haven't done it since, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, thankfully we have the, the legalized betting here and we can do it that way too. But, um, yeah, no, I haven't done the fantasy since then. Yeah. 
It's brutal, you know. It, you'd think of all places that it would be here, but it does make sense that they look at it as gaming to kind of get their piece of the pie. And once that was, you know, kind of floated out there that it wasn't going to happen, uh, Las Vegas felt that they, or Nevada rather, uh, did what you know they felt they needed to do. But that's neither here nor there. But I want to talk about the the golf market in that um, it's a little bit unique in that much like tennis. Um, you can have wildly different numbers at different shops based on each sports book's liability. And so shopping around is, is absolutely paramount. Maybe in golf, um, and again, maybe tennis, um, more than any, uh, other type of singular sport when there's, you know, 60, 70 golfers on an event and the South point, for example, has, you know, 40 to one, but the M, um, a CGT property has 70 to one because their, their liability is a little bit different. So how do you kind of handle, you know, picking off the best numbers and, um, you know, just making sure that you're in the right spots. Are you more of a, you know, set up your initial position, um, type of guy, because you know, this number is going to go some type of way. Um, and again, I know you typed you touched on that. You're only doing kind of futures, not only, but mostly recreationally and and your main focus uh, professionally is uh, doing, you know, the matchup type stuff. But from a from a market perspective and where openers and stuff kind of go, um, you know, how, how do you kind of go about attacking the market when there could be such wildly different numbers out there? Uh, as far as the futures go, Christian, you know, I have a few apps on my phone, and if I and and first of all, I'm going to handicap the golf tournament from a matchup perspective and again a horses for courses uh, philosophy and I may come up with three or four or five guys uh, and this goes into writing my articles every week too when I, I write the articles for the various websites I have to come up with favorites and contenders and long shots and and then ultimately a pick and so you know out of that crop of guys I've usually got three or four guys on my mind uh, along those same lines, uh, a favorite, a contender and a long shot. And, and that might be the way that I would bet it. Um, but like I say, I've got a few apps on my phone and then I'll just kind of look at the global market and see if I have an advantage, uh, with one of the stores that I have in the palm of my hand. And if I can get a nice number or, or if I can't and, and kind of just play it that way. Um, so, you know, I, I don't necessarily look at the, you mentioned the M and CGT. I, I don't have access. I mean, unless I was going to drive around town and, and I, and I'm not doing that. I, you know, I'm doing tea times and all the other stuff that I'm doing from the comfort of my own home. So the mobile app is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. So, it's the only thing Las Vegas has to compete with offshore right now. Right, right. So, um, but I will look offshore uh, to compare and contrast. And, and again, if I have uh, a handful of golfers that I really like for a particular week and I can see an advantage with a number uh, on one of the stores that I, that I do subscribe to, uh, then I might take a shot with it. Um, but uh, the matchups, you know, I think not only do you have discrepancy in pricing on the matchups, uh, but as you go around town to the different books, uh, there's actually different matchups. There, there's different combinations. Like you might have uh, Brant Snedeker against Matt Kuchar uh, at the Westgate. Uh, and then you might have Brant Snedeker against Kevin Kistner at William Hill. And then offshore, you might have Brant Snedeker against Billy Horschel. So, you know, there can be some advantages there where I'm handicapping each golfer and who I think fits best for this course I might see the matchup of Snedeker versus Horschel as a toss-up, but I might see the matchup of Snedeker versus Kistner as very advantageous one way or another. So not only uh, is shopping for prices something 
that is astute, but you can also sometimes find uh, a matchup that you like better. Absolutely. And again, it, you know, it all goes back to when you're you know, kind of backing, uh, you know, I try to eliminate variants as much as I can and, and then golf is such a variance driven sport and that, you know, one particular golfer may not have it. Um, you know, that, that tournament, be it for whatever reason, be it injury, be it, um, conditions, um, because you know, the conditions will change, but the course won't. Um, so there's so many added things in that. So that's what I want to talk about next is, uh, essentially for lack of a better term, weather and conditions, because the course will always stay the same, right? But the conditions will change. And so how much does that, you know, not that you're a meteorologist or anything like that, but weather I feel is such a big part that goes into golf handicapping, which is such a unique aspect of this market. And, Obviously, you know, odds may not, you know, if, for example, Dustin Johnson is terrible while playing in, you know, rain or wind or whatever it is, you know, cold. Um, obviously, you know, his odds aren't going to change based on that. But maybe as a true handicap, when everything is said and done, when it's Dustin Johnson on this particular course in these particular conditions, the number may be off from a sports book who's only hanging it based on, you know, everything that their their kind of odds makers come up with. Um, is that somewhere that you kind of find you have an advantage or is it more of a disadvantage being that, you know, obviously weather is very unpredictable, especially in a, a, uh, a, or a, um, association that goes all around the world, you know, in different conditions and things like that. Weather's a tough one, Christian. Uh, you know, it can be very obvious, but there's so many question marks as well. Probably the biggest advantage I believe that you can do with weather is in the first couple of rounds of a golf tournament because um, you can see who's teeing off early and who's teeing off late. And sometimes you have weather that's going to affect uh, one side of the draw so much more than the other side. So the guys that are teeing off early on Thursday morning, if they're going to be just in the thick of it of wind and rain, and then it's going to calm down in the afternoon, obviously the guys teeing off later have an advantage. And then, and then it flips the way a, a PGA tour golf tournament works. The guys that tee off early on Thursday will tee off late on Friday and vice versa. So if you see a weather pattern, uh, those first two rounds, Oftentimes you can apply that to a matchup, you know, who's going to get the worst of it and who's going to get the best of it. That's, that's a real simple handicap that you can do with water or with water, with weather. <laughs> it's all the same. Um, right. A lot of water, wind, it's all a lot of W's. Um, but as far as like who's good and who's poor in weather, that, that becomes a little tougher. You have to start looking at ball flights, uh, guys that hit the ball uh, with a low trajectory are going to typically be better in wind and guys that hit a real high ball uh, are, you know, obviously the a ball that is real high in the air is going to be more affected by wind. That was uh, a real uh, shortcoming for Phil Mickelson for many years at the British Open. He used to always hit such a high ball and he never fared well at the British. And eventually he learned how to play that type of golf and it turned into a victory for him uh, in 2013 at the Open Championship. So that, that part of it gets a little bit more difficult. Like I said, that early first couple of rounds, if you see a pattern versus the draw, that's pretty simple. Uh, but after that, it becomes so much more qualitative rather than quantitative. You can't necessarily assign uh, data and numbers to weather. So that's where it becomes a, a little bit more of a question mark or a crapshoot. 
and and it's hard to pinpoint guys as being a good weather player or a bad weather player. Tom Watson was probably the best wind player ever. Won five British Open championships, I believe, five or six. And uh, but he's no longer around to handicap. So uh, it, it's tough for for individuals like that. Who's going to do well? Who's not going to do well? It's more so about those first couple rounds with the draw. Um, you know, if you're looking into a futures market, like this week uh, at Hilton Head, the first two days were really calm and beautiful, and now it's supposed to uh, get a little bit nasty on Sunday. I haven't looked at the most immediate forecast, but that was the initial forecast. So, you know, that can kind of go into your thinking as well if it's going to change from earlier in the week to later in the week. But uh, it's a pretty random uh, thing to consider. Uh, you, you do have to consider it, but it's more difficult than looking at stats and skill sets and, you know, the horses for courses. It's, uh, it can kind of throw a wrench in your system. Absolutely. And again, I, I, I'm one of those people that try to take, you know, as much variance out of it. So, you know, with all this stuff that goes into it, um, and especially in such a market that is, it, it's very weird because golf as a whole as a market is, you know, outside of the majors is dominated by professionals and people like yourself and, you know, Las Vegas locals um, that have been, you know, that have chosen this particular market um, to kind of make their living with and stuff. And then when it gets, you know, flips over to the majors, there's such an influx of, you know, quote unquote public money um, or recreational money, um, you know, and that's one of the reasons why Tiger Woods was lined where he was as the favorite into the Masters, um, you know, and, you know, truth be told, he wasn't, he shouldn't have been lined there. That was, an absolute, you know, that was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen of, have, have, of how, you know, much the public can absolutely have their say in things. Um, is, do you look at, you know, uh, the different events, um, differently from what is the other normal events vice the, uh, majors or are they, do they kind of, you know, you do your handicapping and then kind of take where the numbers are or what the numbers are. Does anything kind of change, uh, when you go from regular events into the majors? Well, the process doesn't necessarily change, but I usually try and spend more time on the majors because I think you're kind of dealing with a bigger picture. And I often try to um, make more bets for a major, you know, just because of the grandeur of the event. And, and I think it's more fun, really. And you also have more options. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of times on a standard PGA tour event, you don't have all the options, uh, for props and whatnot that you do with the majors. So oftentimes that takes more preparation. And then outside of the masters, uh, you know, the courses change every year. So, you know, you have to, you can't just plug in your old formula for, you know, what was good at Hilton head or Riviera or Torrey pines. You've got a new golf course that you may have never handicapped before. So you have to do some research on that as well. So I usually uh, spend more time with the majors just because they're a they're a bigger deal in so many ways. Uh, and I, you know, the regular week to week tour events I, I've done year in and year out for so many years now that um, it's uh, it's kind of a smaller nut to crack. It seems like I've done a lot of the work in the past, so I don't necessarily have to recreate all that work again. I know the golf course. I know who traditionally does well there. And so you don't have to kind of look at it as as many things, I believe, in your preparation. Absolutely. And so 
The next thing I want to talk about is kind of the overall culture of golf. And where I'm going with this is traditionally golf is a very gambling, uh, let's say friendly um, kind of culture of, you know, the old boys club. It's, you know, <laughs> it's been around the game for for so long and skins matchups. And, you know, of course, you know, notorious golfers is Phil Mickelson, who was involved with, you know, Billy Walters and all that type of thing. Um, so I want to tie this into legalization. And in kind of doing some research for this interview and, and looking through kind of some stuff that you've um, put out there and retweeted and Swing by Swing had a great article of, you know, kind of the commissioner's thoughts and things like that. But I wanted to get yours as a whole um, on that because I, one of the things that I've kind of been harping on that people may not realize about when gambling becomes legal is, you know, what that influx of money into the market, you know, essentially overnight may do to it. And, you know, from a football standpoint, publicly backed teams, you know, you may have to pay a little bit of a premium. Um, and with golf being such a niche market, although there are so many people who especially play it, now that every, you know, 50, 60 year old golfer is going to have in theory, you know, a, a sports book in their hand that they can go on and, you know, place a bet for every tournament that they want. Um, do you, what do you kind of see upcoming as far as with what I would call inevitable at this point of sports gambling becoming legal and how it would affect golf, uh, you know, as a market and as a whole? Well, as a whole, it's going to be really interesting. And like you say, paying a premium, you know, for this and that and the other, it, it's really going to affect the numbers. And I, I think it's going to be absolutely much more difficult uh, for, you know, a seasoned sports better, wh whether you're, you know, a seasoned sports better, a recreational sports better. I would or, not agree with you more, buddy. Yeah. It, you know, people that are new to the game um, versus people that like you and I that have been doing it for many years, whether it's professional or not, it's going to become much tougher for us because, things are going to change. It's an entire shift in the market. Uh, and it's not just odds and it's not just liability. It's the whole landscape is going to change. So I think that's going to present a very big challenge for us that uh, have been enjoying the hobby or the profession for many, many years. Um, I also like, you know, to answer the second part of your question, I really like uh, what uh, the golf people had to say about uh, embracing the idea of sports betting. And I love the angle that they took that they feel uh, regulation will bring more integrity, integrity to the game than what some of the other leagues and people involved in this story are talking about, that it threatens the integrity of the game. And I, I think it's absolutely incorrect. Uh, I mean, Las Vegas has probably got more um, involvement or more influence or more proof that there is integrity in what they're doing than anybody else in the world. Uh, I mean, we have a, an entire gaming, you know, control, you know, committees, <laughs> whatever it is. Commission, I, I mean, yep, Nevada Gaming Commission. Gov there's an entire government hall uh, about gaming. And sports gaming and, and departments upon departments that are monitoring this stuff. So we have more eyes and ears and regulation on, then, on this than anybody. So it's absolutely impossible almost to, to put one over on Las Vegas if something funny is going on. So, you know, with legalization pending for the rest of the country, I think sports are a little bit naive to think that it would compromise the integrity of the game. It would enhance the integrity of the game because you've got so much more uh, eyes and ears on the product 
you've got so much more involvement in the product, you've got so much more money involved in the product, it would be scrutinized more than ever. So again, I think it's a little bit ignorant to say that, um, you know, things could get a little bit loosey goosey and, and you might slip, you know, pull one over on a guy and a, a game fixing and this and that and the other. <laughs> it just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me how people could think that that would be possible, uh, with, you know, the population, you know, just, uh, increasing 100 fold uh, on watching the, or policing these games. I couldn't echo those sentiments enough. And one of the most ludicrous things I've ever seen that's come out of the gambleization, the uh, legalization of gambling and the efforts that come along with it uh, was the NBA's integrity fee. And, you know, saying that, you know, maybe, okay, so instead of laying minus 110 on a point spread, you're going to lay minus 112. And that 2% is going to go back to the league. Um, and to me, that was absolutely insane because truth be told, the opinion of these commissioners doesn't really matter. They don't have a say on whether or not you know, and again, I know that this is kind of a, a PR uh, spin on you know what stance each commissioner wants to take. But again, it, it doesn't. Their opinion truly doesn't matter. Whether these states and um, you know these entities make this legal, they don't have a say. If they were so opposed to it, and again, like the NFL stance, it's not going to matter. And so, for the NBA to ask to get paid out of this, to me, was kind of a last ditch, last ditch uh, hail mary to try to get you know kind of a piece of this pie that is definitely upcoming. Um, and the way that these leagues are going to profit from this is going to be the increased viewership and of people watching. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, if a Thursday night football game is the Cleveland Browns versus the Chicago Bears outside of those two fan bases, there's a reason why it's still doing the numbers that it does. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with fantasy and the uptick in uh, daily fantasy. Um, but a lot of that is gamblers. And, you know, to think that it's not going on, there's more money being moved in the Wall Street, uh, New York markets, Chicago, um, Boston, Florida, Miami, these type of places than there is in Las Vegas. And so, again, I, I can't echo those sentiments enough that once you put kind of a governing body on this, a lot of the, the shady things are, are going to kind of go by the wayside. So it's absolutely a, uh, a plus, and I think it's much needed in that regard. Um, again, my reservations with it are more on what it will do to the market and things like that, like we've talked about it before, more than, you know, the integrity of the game being challenged. I mean, you know, putting a principal in a school isn't going to challenge the integrity. It's going to make, you know, there be more integrity for, for I know that's kind of a, a weird analogy, but that's really how I feel about it. I think it's a good analogy. It makes a lot of sense. You know, putting a watchdog in place is, is going to have a, an effect. And I agree with you. The, the unknown, I think we know about the integrity question. Uh, and the fees, you know, the integrity fee, I don't think, you know, that could have been just a, uh, a little bit of propaganda. They're going to make plenty of money, and it doesn't have to be with an integrity fee. Like you said, increased viewership, advertising, what have you. The, the part that is unknown and will be interesting and is confusing is how it's going to affect the market. For somebody that has enjoyed this, again, professionally or recreationally, uh, but had been at the racket for a long time, um, it's going to be interesting how that changes. And, and unfortunately, we certainly might not have as much of an edge as we have in the past. Inside Vegas is presented by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Inside Vegas podcast, as well as the Sports Gaming Podcast Network. Use promo code SGP50 to receive a 50% deposit bonus today. I want to kind of bring this full circle because not only are you a tremendous golf handicapper, you are have been one of the most successful people in Las Vegas uh, in all walks of life. And again, one of the many reasons amongst the many that I thought you would be perfect for this is not only are you a niche handicapper, but that's not all that you do. I mean, you have a super contest championship 
leadership behind your belt. So I wanted to kind of talk about that and how, you know, in certain niche markets, they can take up all of your time um, and especially golf, be it tennis, um, boxing, whatever it is. Um, you know, mo- usually the situation is, is when one person only focuses on one particular sport and dedicates all their time to it, um, the results are very good. Um, but what they do is they sacrifice the time and effort it takes to handicap other sports. Uh, but that hasn't been the case with you. And again, I, I want to kind of touch on how you're able to kind of balance your time and be so successful in other areas um, along with, uh, you know, doing everything you do for content in the golf market. Yeah, you know, and, and thank you for all the, the, the kind words. It's flattering and nice of you. Um, but it works out really well with golf and football because they really don't overlap that much. Uh, golf, for me, I always start with Torrey Pines uh, in January, which uh, happens the week during the bye between the championship games in the NFL and the Super Bowl. Torrey Pines usually falls right into that window. So that's a good spot for me to start my golf season. And then obviously the next week is the Super Bowl. So football's done at that point. And then golf uh, wraps up right around September, you know, mid September ish, maybe the third week in September. So you, you have maybe two or three weeks of football that overlaps, uh, there a little bit. Uh, but that's also early in the football season when, you know, especially like week one, that's a real guess. Week one is maybe the toughest week to handicap of them all, uh, because you, you don't have any patterns to look at. You don't know what these teams are going to be like, uh, coming out of the off season, that type of thing. So, uh, you're, you're able to pretty much concentrate on one season, uh, be it golf or football as a standalone. And, uh, yeah, I completely agree in specialization. Uh, I, am not going to sit here and try and tell you, uh, about college football and women's basketball and baseball. And, you know, I'll look to other guys that are specialists in those areas. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm able to concentrate and golf really Christian has become my main thing. Football is just so hard and it's almost exhausting how, how difficult it is, but I still do it and still have a great time with it. Um, but I've found that golf is easier for me. And in talking with you, man, you bring up so many things that, that I love. And one of them is the aspect of having fun because in this, in this kind of racket and when you've been in this grind for so long, sometimes you have to take a step back and remember that this is supposed to be, you know, a fun way to make a living. Um, and you know, that comes through in everything you say in, in so many times. I think that's important for, uh, recreational betters or, or guys that have been doing this for so long is to remember to have fun with it. And so that comes through in, in kind of everything that you do. And, um, again, can't thank you enough for coming on, but, um, I want to kind of get your kind of ground level thoughts we talked about, but more so if somebody is looking to kind of break into the golf handicap and happy, oh God, if I could talk handicapping market, you know, where do they start? How can they kind of get into this market, um, that has been proven to be profitable? Well, first of all, you know, and it goes back to having fun. They probably have to enjoy golf and they probably have to be intrigued by, by golf. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe they're a fan of Tiger Woods or, or Phil Mickelson, or they really happen to enjoy this last masters and they, and you know, they're a Jordan Spieth fan or whatever, but you know, I mean, unless you're an absolute pro and I know that there are pros out there who could care less about sport A, B or C, but they're just in there to make money. But again, somebody that's just breaking in, especially recreationally or whatever, you should probably enjoy at least uh, if you're going to study the sport, watch the sport, you know, learn more about the sport. 
So that's probably the first step. And then, you know, again, I go back to horses for courses. I, I would probably start with that foundation and look at who is doing well at particular venues. And I, I thought you made a good analogy there with, you know, tennis players who plays well on certain surfaces, NASCAR drivers who drives well at certain tracks, you know, these individual sports. Uh, it, it's not a team effort where it's the Patriots versus the Steelers. And we're looking at, you know, advantages on the offensive line and this and that and the other. Rather, we're saying, you know, who plays well at Arrowhead Stadium or who plays well at Augusta National? You know, it, it's it's that individual and how they fit into because the course, the, the golf course is really what they're playing against that week. So how are the, how have they fared in the past against that golf course? Have they been very successful or does this golf course kick their butt year in and year out? So that, that's what I would probably look at first. And then, uh, you know, from there, you can start to get into the numbers uh, of how they fare statist- uh, statistically at this golf course or in the areas that you have determined that are going to be important at this golf course. Uh, and then that kind of leads you from there into the matchups and the futures and the props and, and you know, wherever else you want to go from there. Absolutely. And again, I cannot thank you enough uh, for coming on. Um, again, Brady Cannon of Tea Times USA uh, at Las Vegas Golfer on Twitter. Um, and I want uh, you to plug basically everything that you have going on because you're doing so many great things and contributing for so many great uh, companies and media outlets in the space. Um, so go ahead and again, take some time to kind of plug everything that you have going on uh, in the space and both in your personal life. Well, thank you, Christian. And, and I appreciate the opportunity and uh, not only to do that, but to speak with you as well. Uh, it, it really started with my super contest victory. And that then blossomed into my idea combined with Jay Cornegay uh, in starting the Super Contest weekend that uh, we're going on our seventh year now. So, so that was one thing that that turned into. One and of then, the best, not to cut you off, I just wanted people who may not know, that is one of the best absolutely hands-down weekends to come into Vegas with what, um, again, Jay Cornegay, the Westgate, and yourself have kind of put together into making this you know, an event. It kicks off the quote-unquote gambling uh, football season, and, and that is one of you know the best kind of new things to come to Las Vegas in, in so long um, and kind of putting together the idea of you know have, coming out for a weekend to kick off gambling, be it you know, with the golf event, you know, signing up for the super contest and everything like that. So again, if somebody hasn't uh, kind of made their way out to Las Vegas and you're, you know, a gambling or a football fan or even just a golf fan and want to come out and kind of network and, and meet some very um, good people in the space, I, that is the number one uh, kind of weekend that I recommend people come out for. So again, sorry, continue. I just want to make that, that plug that it is what you've done there is, is absolutely amazing. Yeah, we, we love it. And it's like, it's like my annual convention. Every year I see guys that I see once a year at Super Contest Weekend, and it's uh, just great mingling with them and networking, networking with them, playing around at golf with them, signing up for the Super Contest. That's everything that I envisioned, uh, Jay and myself, uh, about this weekend. And my intention all along was not only to help Jay promote his contest, but also promote my tea time business. And, and that you know, we have alluded to here, uh, Tea Times USA. If you're coming to Las Vegas, teatimesusa.com. We make uh, reservations for people uh, coming to town. Uh, and I've always said, all we do is help. We, we're a free service, and I've been in the golf business for so many years. Um, I know the courses inside and out, and, and just try and facilitate that process for people that are looking to play a couple rounds. And then, 
you know, again, that has then springboarded into me writing about golf. And I write for uh, againstthenumber.com, covers.com, wagertalk.com, uh, playbook.com. And, and then again, that is now springboarded into um, being a golf guy on VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, and doing stuff with Gil Alexander and uh, Amal Shah and, you know, the Musburgers, which has just been a, a wonderful time. I, I've enjoyed every second uh, on air there and will be uh, on air again uh, tomorrow to do some more stuff uh, with VEASAN. So, so that's about it. it. It's really got started with the super contest and, and my, my career in golf. And I've been fortunate enough to marry the two and grow things out of that. And, uh, you know, again, Christian, at the end of the day, they're all fun. So that, that's been great. Absolutely. And again, and again, and again, I'm going to say it because I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time. Um, and again, if you want to follow Brady on Twitter, it is at Las Vegas Golfer. And again, if you're coming into town and looking to kind of get your, your golf game situated, there's nobody uh, better within Las Vegas at USA and TeaTimesUSA.com. Um, and again, thank you for everyone for listening. As always, uh, rate, subscribe, and review on iTunes. And uh, join us next week as we will be having uh, your fellow covers uh, contributor and writer, uh, Parley Queen. Monique will be joining us to talk all things horse racing. Um, so again, Brady, thank you so much again for coming on. Uh, I wish you all the best uh, with both tee times and your uh, continued golf handicapping. Thanks so much for having me, Christian. And uh, I'm going to tune into that horse racing. You know, the Derby's coming up. The first Saturday in May is not that far away. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.